as somebody who writes about fashion and politics, and sometimes fashion in politics, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's sexist to write about what the women candidates are wearing or what, you know, such and such a woman governor is wearing. But actually, I think it's a totally valid form of political analysis because these are people whose whole lives are lived in public and they're public figures of utmost importance in American life. And they spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to wear. So they are deliberately making a statement when they put on clothing. And, you know, when Hillary Clinton grew her hair out when she was secretary of state and would wear ponytails and scrunchies, like, to me, that said, I am flying on planes a lot. I'm in foreign countries a lot without somebody to do my hair. This is my utilitarian hairstyle. Or Elizabeth Warren, during the Democratic primary, was always wearing flowing slacks and a cardigan. You know, she wasn't in a suit and she wasn't in a tailored dress. She was in something that she could run around in because she was campaigning. She sees herself as a woman of the people. And that was the image that she was projecting. It was completely deliberate. And I want to call out Kirsten Cinema, who's a senator from Arizona, who honestly, some of her clothing choices I wouldn't make for myself, but like she is one of the boldest dressers in the Senate. I almost don't care what she's wearing. The fact that she shows up from a pretty conservative state, historically conservative state, as a bisexual woman wearing like her hair dyed blue and a fluffy pink jacket. Like, I, I give her so much credit for that. And I don't always agree with her politically, but I feel fondly toward her because she's willing to be herself. You know, that's a political decision she's making, especially in these incredibly slow moving, male dominated places of power. Christina Katarucci is a senior editor at Slate Magazine and is one of the most inspirational people that I met while working there. She covers a wide variety of topics from politics to culture and gender, and she's also a host on Slate's Outward podcast covering issues that impact the LGBTQ communities and was previously a host on the Waves podcast, which focused on gender-related issues. In this episode, we'll take a walk through her personal style journey, the importance of defining your own voice through clothes, and the growing shift towards inclusion in the industry. And just a quick note, this conversation took place last year in the thick of the pandemic and in the midst of so much political uncertainty. But we took a moment, a fashion moment, to reconnect. Enjoy. Hello. Hey. Good How to see you. you. Good. OMG. Like, I, <laughs> ooh, I know you got a lot going on right now. So I appreciate you. I mean, it's <laughs> been good to be able to think about something besides everything else, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Yeah, How are you doing? Are, we are going to take a fashion break from the madness. <laughs> I, you know, just holding, holding up as best as I can, you know, like, I mean, I have to remind myself like this is not a time like any other and it's okay to feel the feelings and Mm -hmm. at times maybe not be okay. (laughs) You know, like it, it, we're human and, you know, to just act like 
it's another day, you know, like it was back in, you know, January would be silly, you know? Yeah. So just to own that, like, you know, some days are better than others, but ultimately together as a country, there's a lot to work through and be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I'm living through a nightmare right now. Um, but I'm trying to focus more on like small moments that feel normal and reminding myself that I know so many wonderful people in the world and that not everyone is terrible and that some people are actually trying their best to make things better. Thank you for coming on the show, Christina. You are amazing. Christina is a phenomenal writer, iconic for Slate Magazine. (laughs) And God knows, like, you know, she has the podcast going on. She has her own podcast, um, Outward. And also, what's I'm missing one. The waves. The waves. (laughs) I need to catch up on the waves. Yeah, the waves has been on hiatus, actually. Yeah, we went on hiatus for during the pandemic. um, And we're hoping to restart and revamp um, once things calm down a little bit, if things ever calm down a little bit. (laughs) There's so much to cover. (laughs) I know, I know. You guys are going to be digging through that. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to spend all of 2021 just recapping 2020. I freaking love it. Well, I would love to start from the beginning. You're one of the most fashionable people I've ever oh witnessed. That's untrue, but thank you. No, you you are because you do it in your own way and you say things like with your clothes that I've I just really I'm like, how how in the world did Christina come up with this combo? And it's like so you, you know, it's like <laughs> the details. So essentially, you know, who are you? Where were you born? Where where were you raised? Where are you from? So I was born in New Jersey, um, in a small suburb. Um, you're like, in a small, I was like, you're a Jersey. Did I know that? Yeah. So, and I come from many generations of Jersey girls and boys, um, <laughs> on both my parents' sides, uh, but then moved to New Hampshire when I was nine for my dad's job. Um, not as you would imagine a hub of forward thinking fashion. Um, (laughs) then I came to DC for college and never left. Uh, And that was (laughs) too many years ago. (laughs) What? You mean like when you were five, you look great girl. Um, so what was your earliest fashion memory? Like the earliest one you could remember? I was always big into dress up. I did dance and gymnastics and I have a very vivid memory of one outfit that I had. I don't know where I got it, but it was a white spandex jumpsuit with rainbow hearts on it and sequin trim. And it came with, I don't even know what they were like leg warmers for your arms. It was like (gasps) wrist to elbow spandex with pink fringe coming off. (laughs) I think I was about four or five and very into, you know, anything, every sort of embellishment. Um, and I spent so much time in that jumpsuit, no matter the weather. Um, I also remember being really jealous that my sister needed glasses. My older sister who I idolized, I had perfect vision and I was so jealous that she had to wear glasses. So I had a pair of Barbie sunglasses that were plastic creams and I popped out the 
lenses and would wear just the empty frames like to preschool. <laughs> that's like so chic. I would totally wear those like right now. I think that's su- such a now thing. But yeah, like, it is. But like, do we have pictures of this? I started like, that trend. I can. I definitely have one in the jumpsuit that I can definitely. I need you. it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I live. I love. So, what was your what was your favorite look in high school? Let's go to high school. Oh man, this is a total U turn now. Yes, this is total U turn. So, I was a big hippie in high school. I was really into classic rock. Played guitar, sang in bands, and I would you know, I was very into like hemp necklaces, tie dye, really long straggly hair, um, a lot of thrift store shopping. And then I would buy a lot of band t-shirts, cut them up. I bought a sewing machine would like sew them into little crop tops. I made my own prom dress actually out of a guns and roses flag. Cause I was like, my fashion at the time for me was very much a, a way of rebelling against like the common or the the mainstream high school vibe so I was like not into preppy clothes not into labels I'm wearing my peace sign earrings like I basically had a one note uh thing to say with fashion which was like I'm different but also I'm part of this very established alternative culture you know wow Part of me was like striking out on my own and putting together my own combos from whatever I could buy for cheap at thrift stores. Um, but a lot of it was just about, you know, saying I'm, I don't, I'm not buying into your like consumerist, um, trend, like slave to trend, uh, culture that was really dominant at my high school. Where did like, where did that sense come from? No idea. I mean, I was starting to develop my tastes in art and my political leanings. And I felt like my clothes had to, um, had to telegraph that to other people. Like that was a very big part of my identity was like being into music, like spending hours in my room with my headphones on or not blasting music. Um, and I felt like one way that I could find other people who shared my interests was to dress a certain way, to wear like political t-shirts or band t-shirts. Um, and I felt like, you know, this is how I'm going to find my people. So who were you listening to? You said Guns N' Roses. Who else oh, saw yeah. that lineup? <laughs> that was Axl Rose was a big um, fashion icon for me. Um <laughs> I listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin. Um, I loved, you know, Metallica. Oh, you were hardcore. Oh, my God. I loved... um, Who else? I I feel like I dressed like I was going to Woodstock. You know, I loved Jimi (laughs) Hendrix. Like, turn on any classic rock radio. I I was, like, not very creative, or I wasn't, like, delving into any deep cuts. But I was also I really into contemporary alternative rock. So Incubus, I was obsessed with Oh, my with gosh. Incubus. I love Incubus. So, <laughs> don't you even get me started on Incubus. I love me some Incubus. Yeah, I like, even now, like, the other day, one of their songs came on, like, a, a Spotify playlist or something, and I was just immediately transported back uh, to these moments where I felt every feeling so, yes, so deeply. I'm like... Pardon me while I yeah. okay. Oh my god, yes. I <laughs> what a great channel for all my angst. I know. I know. I still I still tune into my inner incubus self. Oh times. good. Let's transport into how would you define your style now? 
So one big realization I made that has defined my fashion journey is that you can be feminine without being girly. Um, And realizing that there is a mature femininity out there that is about power and strength and not just necessarily about like cutesiness or um, being demure, which all power to people who, who love that style of clothing. But I always felt like I, you know, I didn't identify with besides when I was a, a young child, like pink, like flowy ruffles or anything. But when I realized that you could incorporate some elements of femininity into clothes that really made a dramatic statement that's where I find myself now. So I love, um, you know, when I do ruffles, they're very architectural. I love bold patterns, bold shoulders. I wear a lot of shoulder pads and like puffy sleeves. They're coming back. <laughs> they are. And I'm so happy about it's it. Wild. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross is a huge fashion icon of mine. I love the way she does, um, you know, every time she gets on the red carpet, she's having so much fun with it. And it's all about really statement making gowns that are, um, that when she walks into a room, it's, you wouldn't not necessarily say it's it's pretty it's that she's gorgeous and stunning you know it like really all the light shines on her and um she doesn't wear things that you have to cross your legs in or that like trap her body in any way she's like just brings so much energy into the room with her and what she's wearing and that's the kind of stuff that I love too um yeah and I still find a lot of clothes at consignment shops and thrift stores because I'm a journalist, you know, I don't make a ton of money, but I have expensive taste and I love fashion. And so <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I end up wearing a lot of vintage clothes too. Another one of yeah. my style icons is Elizabeth Jennings on the Americans played by Carrie Russell. Oh. I love, I mean, with the shoulder pads, you probably already figured out that I love 80s style and like 80s professional workwear. Oh my God, that show. That yeah. show. Every I know. look. I wish I was watching it from the beginning all over again. Like her, these like long coats with big collars, um, pussy bows. A lot of yes. my like professional shirts have a bow at the neck, which is again, like a kind of femininity that projects strength, um, which is a theme for me. I was going to ask you, uh, you mentioned, you know, that there is, or that you've recognized the difference between femininity and girliness. Like how would you define each of like, what is the difference in your opinion of that? I feel like there is a style of clothing that is, you might describe it as romantic, um, very soft, um, you know, curving lines, ruffles, um, slight floral patterns, muted tones. And I've, I've always not felt like myself in clothing like that. Um, but I always thought like, oh, then I must be, maybe I'm more of a tomboy or maybe I'm more of like a goth or grunge or maybe (laughs) yeah but then I realized like I wasn't 
rejecting femininity at all. I consider myself a very feminine person. What I was rejecting was the sort of softness of it. And what I, when I feel most myself, it's in something more strong and statement making, which you can still incorporate a lot of those, you know, floral patterns and ruffles and layers and skirts. You can still incorporate things like that into the clothes that I like wearing. But when they do so, it's in a much bolder and starker way. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you basically just, <laughs> you know, gave me the revelation of my entire like childhood. I was like, what was going? I mean, I was a skater, so I was wearing like board shorts, and you know, I felt like there were, you know, okay, like am I a tomboy? Like you said, like you know, there were there were these two extremes that people expected you to sort of fall yeah. into, and there were just certain things I was not comfortable in. My sister, she'd have her little, you know, crop top and ruffles and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not into it, you know, (laughs) but like you said, it does not mean that, you know, you as a person do not identify as being feminine. And I love a bow too. And I, you know, I would occasionally wear a tie and it's like, Oh, well, what does that mean? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, I say, do what you want, define yourself. And, you know, there's been so much happening, (sighs) (laughs) not only in the world, but also, you know, (laughs) fashions reflecting those changes as well. Um, There's been a lot of talk about, you know, having genderless shows, like what is gender, you know, being more inclusive. Oh, you know what? Maybe we should include black people on the run. Mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown. Or maybe someone who's, I don't know, you know, a little bigger than a size, you know, eight. which is wild. So, you know, these changes are happening. We've seen, I think we've seen like sprinkles over time, but it seems like now with so much global angst and, you know, the pandemic and, you know, racial unrest that, wow, like I, I look, I looked at Vogue and I was like, oh my God, is this Essence? Is this Essence magazine? <laughs> is that Janet Mock and Valentino? Like, I mean, Amazing. like, literally the first, like, you know, Lizzo's on the cover and mm-hmm. then I open it and I'm like, oh my God, that's like Janet Mock, like the first ad you see for Valentino. Like, I'm wow. like, okay, what is Oh, happening? it's an ad campaign? Yes. Wow. I know. That's amazing. I mean, they're lucky to get Janet Mock. Okay. Boop. But, you know, it's like, okay, we're seeing these changes, but, you know, we've seen changes before. Like, do you think, you know, just from the coverage that you've been doing around the country as it relates to changes um, in the U.S. right now, like, do you think this is a moment or a movement? Like what's your inkling about this and are we going in the right direction here? I mean, obviously, yes, (laughs) but what are your thoughts in terms of how the industry is tackling this and is there hope for, you know, actual change? (laughs) I have to say the changes that I've seen this summer and the first couple months of the fall in 2020 have made me more hopeful than ever in terms of inclusivity in fashion and journalism, in part because, I mean, almost all the credit goes to employees at a lot of these companies, at fashion magazines, at fashion labels, in retail, um, you know, Black employees, other employees of color standing up and saying, 
actually, we have power here and we want to see changes happen. Um, you know, I've been paying a lot of attention to how that's played out in journalism where actually changes have been made, you know, in terms of hiring, in terms of leadership. Um, a lot of magazines are now, it, it, it almost seems tokenizing when you look at it as a trend in terms of like putting their first black senior editor in or, or you know, something like that. But I actually think when, I mean, it's a smart business proposition at the very least for them to be more inclusive of, you know, models of color or um, people who reflect the body size of normal people, you know, the average American or, you know, uh, but I, I, I don't think that it will turn out to be tokenizing because I think a lot of people are grasping power now. And when people it's not just one ad campaign, it's people being put in decision-making positions where they actually do have the power to make changes. It's still very small changes at this point, yeah. you know, the leadership at any of these major, um, you know, magazines or retail outlets or um, fashion labels are still overwhelmingly white, often male, even in an industry yeah. that is populated at the lower levels by women. Wild. Um, but I also think the industry has disproportion, a disproportionate ability to change the culture, not necessarily in politics, but in terms of how people see themselves in the world, whether they feel powerful or whether they have to spend their energy trying to make themselves fit into a, a very small mold that doesn't reflect the diversity of humanity. Yeah. Um, so that it gives me a lot of hope to see people taking power and recognizing their own power. Um, as far as gender and fashion, that's really interesting because I think this is something I think a lot about as a queer person and just knowing so many people in my life who feel less confident because they can't find clothes that fit them properly in the style that they want to wear. Um, I feel like a lot of quote unquote genderless clothing or, you know, gender free labels default to this middle ground of like very square silhouettes, baggy, muted neutrals, when actually what needs to happen is for there to be a wide range between masculine and feminine and clothes at both ends of the spectrum manufactured in a lot of different sizes and shapes, <laughs> you know, yeah. so that like somebody with broad shoulders and no boobs can still fit into a sundress or somebody with boobs and hips can fit into a suit. It's, Agreed. it's kind of incredible that we've, we've like made so much progress in LGBTQ rights and yet like clothing, which is full of so many queer people and queer positive people has not kept pace. And again, Wild. like it would be a smart business proposition to just like sell your clothes to more people. Podcasts are awesome. And I know you love them too, or you wouldn't be here right now. But have you ever thought about starting your own? Don't worry, you don't have to be a techie, but you do need a bit of guidance so you don't make costly mistakes. My name is Sunny, and I've been podcasting for a long time. I've launched more than 15 profitable podcasts, and I'm the founder of the Independent Podcast Network. 
My online course, How to Launch Your Profitable Podcast in 30 Days, gives you the keys to the five P's of podcasting, which is everything you need to launch and grow a successful podcast. You get unlimited access to more than 35 videos and dozens of handouts. And when you purchase my course, you're also supporting this awesome podcast because they're getting 50% of the money when you use their special link. How cool is that? Let me help you get started with your podcast. Go to podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That's podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think customization could really help there. Like some of the brands that like Bonobos, you know, who will take the measurements. It's like, why not? You have the samples there, like more sustainable, less waste. That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, Maybe something more on a larger scale. And I'm sure we'll get there because fashion folks are talking about it globally. Like, what can we do? What can we do? But similar to politics, sometimes it takes like, I don't know, like 500 panel discussions (laughs) before (laughs) before legislation actually happens. You know know how it goes. Uh, But it's so interesting. I want to bring it back to politics. You know, I did cover fashion and politics for a while until 2016. And then I just said, I can't you know, in good conscience, you made the right choice, uh, move forward, uh, with this. Um, and by the way, I loved, uh, your piece on Melania. Oh my God. I sent it Thank to everyone. You. I knew Thank I you. was oh. like, Oh my God, like she did that on purpose. <laughs> I had no idea. And you know, clearly Ugh, that was my worst politics. fashion moment of the past <laughs> four years that I don't really care. Do you? I, th- I, I was like, no, that was a mistake. Right. Right. And so, you know, I told my sister, actually, when I read your piece, I felt like I did at the end of get out because I didn't think (laughs) I I didn't think she was in on it. So the, the scary part of the movie was the fact that I thought that she didn't know. And then I said, how many times do I do this as a only once in America? But anywho, so I, I was, you know, everyone's like free Melania. And then I was like, oh my God, like she totally. Yeah, she's in on it. But people just have the instinct still, even after, you know, 53% of white women voted for Trump because the backlash has been so full of women too. People just instinctually think like, how could a woman support this man? She must be you know, bullied into it, or she must be secretly traumatized by it. Like, no, actually, she's getting just as much out of it as he is. And there are plenty of women with no conscience and terrible political views. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Stephanie, for spilling that tea in your book. You know, she's a fashion (laughs) gal who went over to the dark side for a minute, but she's, you know, she's, uh, she's back. So thank you for that tea. But you know, when I when I was covering fashion and politics, I thought it was so interesting how people would be like, Oh my God, there's so much going on. How could you be focused on this? And and I'm like, no, no, no. You know, there's plenty of people who are focused on it. And I think it's important. I was just, you know, my sister really, you know, she made a great point when I was doing it. She's like, Oh no, you're making it relatable using fashion as sort of an outlet for people to learn about who these people are, because I didn't even know. So I was educating myself as huh. I was looking, I was like, oh, like, 
who is this senator? What, you know, what does she stand for? You know, what is she doing? In addition to, oh, she wore this at her latest, you know, press conference or whatever. But I think, and, and just from that experience, and I mean, I don't understand why sometimes people don't make this connection, but I do think that, you know, fashion and what especially women wear is like a superpower. I think it can be a powerful thing to exemplify who you are. Like we have more creative outlets you know, for it than the men totally. do. That's a whole nother history lesson. They used to do <laughs> That's some another stuff, reason okay? why patriarchy harms men, huh. you know? Sure because does. they don't have the same sort of wide range of options for clothing as we do. They don't. They don't. Yeah. Now they do have some, you know, tailoring that I wish we had more of on our <laughs> side, but you know, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I, I think it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, femininity and, and how that's often attached to fashion, making it seem like, oh, it's frivolous because it's attached to femininity. But I think that it can be a source of empowerment. Like, am I crazy? Definitely. And I also think I've heard this from so many people as somebody who writes about fashion and politics and sometimes fashion in politics. Which I love. People, yeah, I, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad that there's that you are the perfect audience for it, actually. Um, I there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's sexist to write about what the women candidates are wearing or what, you know, such and such a woman governor is wearing. But actually, I think it's a totally valid form of political analysis because these are people whose whole lives are lived in public and they're public figures of utmost importance in American life. And they spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to wear, you know, and So they are deliberately making a statement when they put on clothing. And, you know, there's, you know, when Hillary Clinton grew her hair out when she was secretary of state and would wear ponytails and scrunchies, like, to me, that said, I am flying on planes a lot. I'm in foreign countries a lot without somebody to do my hair. This is my utilitarian hairstyle. (laughs) Or, you know, Elizabeth Warren during the um, Democratic primary was always wearing just sort of like um, flowing slacks and a cardigan. You know, she wasn't in a a suit and she wasn't in a like tailored dress. She was in something that she could run around in because she was campaigning. She sees herself as a woman of the people. And that was the image that she was projecting. It was completely deliberate. And, um, you know, I want to call out Kirsten Sinema, who's a senator from Arizona. Who, yeah, like, honestly, I, I, some of her clothing choices I wouldn't make for myself, but like, (laughs) she is one of the boldest dressers in the Senate. I almost don't care what she's wearing. The fact that she it shows up from a pretty conservative state, historically conservative state, yeah. as a bisexual woman wearing like her hair dyed blue and a fluffy pink jacket. Like, I, I give her so much credit for that. And I don't always agree with her politically, but I feel fondly toward her because she's willing to be herself. You know, yeah. that's a political decision she's making, especially in these incredibly slow moving, male dominated. Um, places of power. So, you know, or I I just want to call out another fashion moment. 
Michelle Obama, when she left the White House, went on her book tour and wore those Ooh. like high, high sparkly boots. Oh, she did that. I was she like, did that. This, she is making a statement here. She is having so much fun now that she isn't beholden to this, you know, the, the sort of right wing microscope that forced her to be confined into this role when she was the first lady. Like now she actually can express herself a little bit more. So I I have so much fun looking at what, and it's not just women, like obviously men make statements with oh, yeah. their clothing too. There's Absolutely. just less to say about it in politics, <laughs> but I hope yeah. that there's a male Kirsten cinema someday. Really. Oh my goodness. That would be <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I love what you said, like, and it just sort of stuck really just stuck out um, about just being who you are sometimes and having the courage to express yourself is, is almost like an act of, of resistance, you know, yeah, totally everything that's happening. And just, uh, you know, even, you know, today you, you guys can't see it, but I have blue in my hair. I and can I said, see you it. Know it looks what? incredible. I, I, I was like, you know, I just, I want a little blue in my hair and that's how I'm feeling today. And, you know, with everything going on in the world, I feel like I have more space to do so. And I mm-hmm. feel empowered. So the, it's like, there's only one you y'all, there's only one you mm-hmm. be who you are. Take up, take up that space. If I hear that one more time, my cousin says it all the time. Take, <laughs> take up space. I love you, Sandra. Take up space. It can't That's be true. said enough. It can't but be said true. enough. Yeah. And I think especially, and this is political too, like the way a, a lot of, you know, if you go back into the history of fashion or why certain modes of dress are required in certain spaces, it's codes of decorum that left out certain groups of people. And if you are part of a demographic that has been historically marginalized or silenced or forced into these narrow boundaries of appropriate behavior to dress in any kind of way that is true to you or that transgresses any of those boundaries really is a political statement of your right to be wherever you are. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that, you know, finally we've broken through the, the hair debacle. I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh my God. can we be natural, please? <laughs> yeah, finally. Just some legislation <laughs> passed about, yes. like, it's, I mean, it's incredible wild. that it took until 2020. It's wild. And it's so, it's so crazy to see all the natural hair on the runways and, you know, braids and I'm like braids. I mean, St. John's like, <laughs> I mean, I, I always, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine, her, her mom would always buy, um, St. John's knits and, you know, she had, you know, more money than our family did. And so we'd go to the sample sales with her and it was always sort of like this, oh, like, you know, it's like piece of the American pie of us <laughs> up there with like the Brooks brothers and, you know, the, oh, upper wow. crust, the upper crust of America, you know, where's this? So, you know, just the fact that they had like two, like black girls with their braids and hoops and, and St. John's nets. I said, Oh my gosh, something's happening here. Like, wow. wow. Yeah. And it's, it's an yeah. Time. Like finally people like just the ability to let bodies be mm. how they naturally are. I, Natural? I think like, <laughs> yeah, I think that about, you know, the ways that 
like the incredible power the fashion industry has to set norms for how, you know, hair should look, quote unquote, should look, how bodies should look, how, you know, young we're all supposed to yearn to be. And I think even subtle shifts in those incredibly harmful and restrictive norms could have far reaching ramifications if we let it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's a great point. But you know, you have amazing genes because I'll never forget when you told me the story. Is what your grandmother? Is it your grandma who Wait, has who? the cocktail? The, your grandma who has the cocktail oh. and she's living her life. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> my great aunt who's one hundred and three. Yes, yes. <laughs> I I, I know, don't know. I I, I envision her with her cocktail and her. Su- Does she wear sunglasses? Like, what's oh, her yeah. style like? Oh, yeah. she's 103 has lost almost all of her sight yet does a full face of makeup anytime she comes to a family gathering her she gets her hair done every week that's like her her you know a very social outing for her keeps it dyed never seen her have a gray hair and a lot of leopard print Yes, I love it. I I hope that I'm like Aunt Louise when I'm 103 and Uh. vegan. Aunt Louise, I, I'm trying to channel all of that. So, you know, this is a fashion moment. I gotta <laughs> ask, what is your favorite fashion moment of all time? You've mentioned a few really good ones, but it can be personal, professional, something you covered, just like a moment so, that was just like, oh. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, Beyonce at the 2016 Met Gala where she had I think it I forget who designed the dress but it was a latex dress it was like a nude colored latex dress that yeah. it almost looked like an extension of her skin and it had these like swollen kind of like reddish bumps it was so grotesque I was <laughs> I was repulsed by it and then I was won over by it and the way she carried this. herself with that confidence anyway but my own personal fa- favorite fashion moment was one that I created, which was at my wedding last summer. Oh, I got this so um, on super sale. It was the only one left, this Dolce & Gabbana dress that was blue and silver, like tinsely fringe <gasps> all over and big puff sleeves. Is that who it was? Yeah. It was Dolce? <laughs> <gasps> I remember seeing it on social and I was like, shut the front door. Like I cannot. I spent probably like cumulatively like 40 hours searching the internet for, cause I knew I had to make a statement for my wedding dresses. The one time I could ever justify spending so much on a dress. Oh. I wanted to make a big statement. I wanted to be Tracy Ellis Ross for one day. And so I was like, I really held out. I got this dress, but then I took it to an incredible tailor in DC um, and had them uh, take it into two parts because I'm really short and the bodice was way too long. And so she's like, well, to shorten the bodice, I'm going to have to take it into two parts anyway. Do you want me to just make a top and a skirt? And I was like, yes, definitely. Because then I can wear it else like other times in my life. So then I was like, okay, wait a minute. I have an idea for a dramatic moment. So my wife and I did a surprise choreographed dance for our first dance where we faked everyone out dancing to, um, at last. And then (laughs) we had the DJ like scratch the record and spin it into waiting for tonight by Jennifer Lopez (gasps) and did (laughs) 
uh, choreographed dance. The first thing that we did was my wife unzipped the skirt in the back and I whipped it off and I had a little like smaller silver skirt underneath. Oh, <laughs> I love, I just spent, we spent so long choreographing this. It was literally the weekend before our wedding when like, we really didn't have time graphing a dance, but it was very important to us to make a dramatic moment happen at our wedding. <laughs> and my little niece, my goddaughter, who was like three was like, aunt TT, why did you take your clothes off? <laughs> like she was so confused. I'm like, it's for fashion. I so love you'll it. understand when you're older. But it's for I fashion. It was like the one time in my life where I felt like it was appropriate to have a scene stealing fashion moment like that. And I'll remember it fondly forever. Until, you know, I get nominated for an Oscar or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we are speaking it into existence. You yes. I'm manifesting it. <laughs> yes. Christina, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> for Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are amazing. Thank you for and having me. Obviously, you are always welcome back. Would thank love you. to come back sometime. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.